Good day, everyone. Welcome to CSU Relentless Gardener podcast. I am Colorado State University horticultural agent, Linda Langelo, and joining me today is Amy Lentz, CSU Extension Home Horticulture Coordinator of Boulder County. Now let's get to the heart of it, where we explore the topic of fruit trees. Hello, Amy. Hi, Linda. Glad you can join me today. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So the audience is dying to know what they need to consider if they're even remotely thinking about fruit trees. That's a really good question to ask. Yes, you definitely want to start thinking about a few things before you go out and just buy a fruit tree. I would say the first thing you want to make sure that you have is room for that tree to grow. Sometimes fruit trees can stay pretty small, but standard fruit trees can be pretty large. So make sure you have the space on your property for that fruit tree. Another thing to think about is a water source. Um, fruit trees are not necessarily a xeric plant. They're going to need some regular watering, not only in the summer, but even through the winter. So make sure you have a good water source nearby or drip irrigation setup or something to where you can get that tree the water it needs. Another thing to think about is a plan of how to deal with the messy fruit drop. Because sometimes we don't think about that. And especially if you're going to grow that fruit tree more for ornamental purposes, say you want a plum tree because it's got those pretty light purple flowers in the spring, um, but you're not on top of that harvest, you're going to have a lot of fruit drops. So think about that. And really, you know, fruit trees are, they're a hobby, but it can be a hobby, but it can be an intense hobby. So you're going to need to have time to work with that tree throughout the year. You'll be pruning in the winter, fertilizing, maybe scouting for bugs in the spring and summer. You'll have to have time to harvest that fruit tree. And so there is definitely a lot of stuff to think about. And then one other thing here in Colorado that we have to deal with a lot is wildlife. And so that's probably one of those things that if you have squirrels in your neighborhood or, um, you know, maybe you're near the mountains and you have bears to deal with or deer that like to rub up against those fruit trees. And so oftentimes you have to take that into consideration as well. Or if you have a cherry tree, you know, the birds are going to get to it probably before you do. That's just not fair. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I actually, funny story had clients in Kit Carson County and they had this cherry, sour cherry tree. And the wife was a quilter and she had this uh, light uh, colored fabric and she was uh, sewing pieces of it together. And she and her husband were watching that tree diligently so that they could throw that light fabric over the sour cherry tree before they got it and I looked at her and I said well okay so hopefully you get it a couple of minutes before they dove into your tree and you come out and everything's gone right <laughs> you, you know? don't want to trap them in <laughs> uh, so that's how much people really really love fruit trees oh yeah in in all parts of Colorado, but you know, not everybody can grow everything. 
So maybe you can explain that to people in relation to chill hours. Yeah. So probably, you know, the, the number one big limiter that you're going to be up against is the hardiness of that tree. Um, can that tree actually survive? And for the most part, most of our fruit trees do have a pretty good hardiness to them. They can handle, you know, zones three or four. They can handle those really low temperatures in the winter. The, the problem with fruit trees, though, is that'll keep the tree alive, but that doesn't mean you're going to get fruit. And so that's where we have to start looking at bloom time. And, and so it's not the hardiness of the tree, it's the hardiness of those flower buds. Mm -hmm. And each tree has a different, um, you know, they have a different schedule for flowering, some flower early in the spring, some flower later in the spring. And it's those ones that flower early, like apricots, um, peaches would be another example where your tree might make it through the winter, but then those spring frosts are going to kill off those flower buds and you're just not going to get fruit. It might still look great in the summer and then you'll get fruit again the following year once they set new buds. But that's kind of where we have to look at what is going to flower at the right time to reliably give me fruit. And so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of things to think about there. Um, you know, there are some charts out there on, on the web and, and through your extension services that will show you at what temperature, how many of those buds will get killed by that temperature. So an example would be, let's go with tart cherries. Um, if they have just a swollen bud and it hasn't broken open yet, you can get down to 15 degrees and only lose 10% of those buds so they can handle it. But once that bud starts opening up, let's say that it is um, in bloom, at 28 degrees, you're going to lose 10% of those buds. And at 25, which is really common here in Colorado, you're going to lose 90% of those, those fruit buds. So some years are better than others. <laughs> some trees are more reliable. And then other ones, if you get a crop, it's like, wow, I got a crop. <laughs> That's a great year. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, if if you don't time that stuff correctly for your area, mm -hmm. you know, if, if a tree needs 200 hours to break dormancy and you at a set temperature and because of our weather extremes, it bounce all over the place, even now more than any time, then don't expect great production. That's right. Yes. And in fact, a lot of other states, when they are, especially with their commercial fruit, fruit tree industry, they have um, they they go by degree days to know when to spray or when to do certain tasks. We can't do that in Colorado because we it just swings so much within each season that our degree days aren't consistent enough for us to be able to say, you know, wait until this to spray. We have to just you know, cross our fingers and, <laughs> and wish for the best. Thanks for bringing that point up. That's a very good piece of information. Yeah. That I, I think it's overlooked. And mm -hmm. then the, the other thing I don't think people think about is which ones are self-pollinating and which ones aren't. I mean, you know, do you go out and buy one apple tree or do you need to buy two or, you know, yeah. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, just like you mentioned, some trees are self-pollinated. That means that they will transfer pollen within the same variety of that tree. And even on the same tree, the flowers can pollinate each other. And then other trees are going to need cross-pollinated. And that's actually not just having two trees that are the same. You want to have two different varieties of tree. And it's that, I think it's that variability or diversity in pollen that helps them fruit better. And so, yes, some trees are self-pollinating, some trees are fruit or self or are cross-pollinated. So an example would be um, apricots, sour cherries, peaches, European plums, those are all self-pollinated. So you could have just one European plum tree and, and probably be okay. But apples, sweet cherries, pears, and Japanese plums are generally cross-pollinated. So you either have to have another variety on your property, or if you're in a neighborhood, I live in a, a pretty tight neighborhood. We don't have very big yards. With apples, you know, if my neighbor has an apple tree that's different from mine, I'm I'm probably in the clear. And crab apples can even cross-pollinate with apple trees. So Chances are if you're in, in town and you've got houses around you with trees, you're going to be okay. <laughs> but yeah, some you just have to think about how many trees do I actually need? So would you recommend uh, the dwarf forms or something like espalier if they were really interested in that? Yeah, actually for, for home landscapes, I definitely recommend dwarf size trees you know, it's just easier to harvest those trees, to monitor and scout those trees. And if you have a smaller landscape, they're going to fit within your landscape better. Uh, a standard apple tree can be about 40 feet tall once it gets to maturity. And that's a pretty big tree that you may not have the space for. And who's going to harvest the fruit <laughs> that's 25, 30 feet up in the air? So you have to get on a ladder and all that stuff and pruning those can be also quite the task. And so what they've done over the years is um, they, apple trees are grafted. So they have a different rootstock than they do the top part, which is called the scion. And these rootstocks, they do all kinds of different things. Some of them have disease resistance. Some of them might have some, you know, more adaptability to your soil. But the big thing that the rootstocks do is they control the size of the tree. And so it's that rootstock that creates that dwarf tree. So I personally would look for dwarf or super dwarf even. Um, Semi-dwarf trees are probably going to be in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 feet tall for apples, as an example. And so you could, if you have a bigger landscape, you could go up to a semi-dwarf, but just make sure you have the proper tools and equipment to be able to prune that come winter. <laughs> so how how tall do the, uh, or short, are the super dwarf? You know, they're going to be pretty short, maybe just 8 to 10, 12 feet tall. You could really get in there and, and do most of what you need to do with just a step stool. Wow, that's convenient. Yeah. that's convenient. And you mentioned espalier, too. So espalier is... It's a really unique um, way to grow a tree. It'll have that main central trunk, but then off of that trunk, they'll train the branches flat like a fence. And sometimes they'll even graft different varieties of trees onto that main central leader. So you might have a Fuji apple on this branch and a Granny Smith on that branch. 
but it's a way for, to create almost like a living fence. And so that's kind of, I think it's more of a European way to grow fruit trees. Pretty cool stuff. Well, I don't imagine, you know, when, when you're in Europe, they make the most of every little they square do. foot in their yard. So, and we don't necessarily think about that. Mm -hmm. And that would be, that would be really cool. That would be fun. And they sell those at local nurseries around here where you can get an espalier tree. Cool. That's cool. So is there a specific or a better time to prune than not prune? Yeah. Yeah. You really generally want to prune in the late winter when the trees are fully dormant. And you want to make sure that you finish up that pruning by early spring, just before those buds start to swell and break open. Once you see those buds starting to break open, it's it's time to stop pruning. And that's just because the tree responds differently when it's dormant than when it's actively growing. So I, I always like to use the example of, I don't want to have surgery if I'm not fully asleep, right? <laughs> I don't want anybody cutting on me. So that's also what you should think about with your trees. Um, if you can, you know, if there's snow on the ground and that tree is is fully asleep then in dormant, then yes, that's the time to prune. You don't want to go too early in the fall because maybe that tree hasn't fully gone dormant yet. And sometimes you can get a quick flush of growth before those hard freezes come in and then you've damaged the tree. Well, that's a good tip. That's a good way to get people. <laughs> no, I don't want anybody... That's right. on me when I'm not fully asleep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, good point. So let's go back to watering. I had a client in Kid Carson County and living in town in Burlington, and she continually flooded her peach tree so that it really took it out the root system you know it destroyed the root system mm -hmm. so good drainage and then how should people think about you know returning to water yeah so you know fruit trees aren't too different than normal landscape trees so what i'm going to tell you goes for almost all trees when you first plant that tree um, let's say it's, you know, just a, a, I don't know, three, three-year-old tree, four-year-old tree that's been growing in the nursery for a little while. And they've either, whether they've grown it in a container that's, you know, maybe 15 inches wide or, or they do the ball and burlap, that root system's small when you plant it. So when you first plant that tree, you want to be watering right around where that root system is. But then as that tree ages, you need to think about that those roots are continually growing further and further out away from the trunk of the tree. And what a lot of people do is they'll put their irrigation system in at like a drip system and they'll put that dripper right next to the trunk when it's planted and then we'll never move that dripper again. <laughs> and over time, those roots are no longer there. Um, those roots are structural right around the, the trunk and the, the feeding roots, the ones that pull up all that water, are out around what we call the drip line of the tree. And so when you're watering your trees, you need to make sure that you're watering where that root system is. So go to the drip line, which is basically like the furthest out leaves where the water would fall if it were to rain. It's 
kind of where that rain shadow would be, that's where you want to start watering your trees. So make sure you're moving those drippers, adding in more drippers, because that one dripper is not going to do it as that tree ages. And then the other thing is to just make sure that you're keeping it consistently watered, but not overwatered, like you mentioned. You don't want to flood it because roots need oxygen as well as water. So you want to find that balance. And then the third thing I would say is don't forget in the winter when those trees are dormant, their root systems are underground. So the root system, you know, soil stays what 50 degrees or so, even in the winter underground. And so those roots are still growing and they're going to still need water. So if we have an extended period of time where you haven't seen snow cover, or we haven't had any rainfall and you haven't watered your tree, you'll want to get out there in the winter time and in the fall and water that tree really well all the way around that drip line. Your point about moving those drippers out as the tree ages, it has to be one of the number one issues that I see out here. And, Same here. <laughs> you know, and we just need to continually remind folks that the absorption roots are out away from the trunk. Right. Sometimes they can even go two to three times the width of that crown. So they might be in your neighbor's yard at that point. Now, they're resourceful, though. They're going to go find the water, too. So under the road, usually there's water, you know, or wet soil under there. They'll go and find it. But you got to keep up with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad to see what happens when they don't. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then you have to be the bearer of bad news, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And with fruit trees, you know, when you think about biting into an apple or a peach, it's a lot of water content. So got to have that water to get good fruit, good fruit set. Yes, exactly. So how would you recommend someone treat their fruit trees with fertilizer? You know, they don't really need a ton of fertilizer. Um, it's, it's not like, a, you know, Sometimes flowers need more fertilizer. Really with fruit trees, um, I would say just once in the spring, you can go out with a balanced fertilizer. And that would be something like a 10-10-10 where it has equal parts of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And usually it's in granular form and you can just sprinkle that around the drip line of the tree. And that, that usually will be enough for that tree. Um, they're able to pull nutrients out of our soils and we have a lot of good nutrients in our soils. However, if you have clay soil and you're, you're growing fruit trees in a clay soil, sometimes they can get iron chlorosis as well. So I've seen, um, I've seen plums get it and pears, apples here and there. And so if you have that heavier clay, the iron is just really bound up in that soil. So the tree has a hard time pulling it out. So you might want to add in just a little bit of a fertilizer with iron if you start seeing that chlorosis of the leaves. But otherwise, they don't need a whole lot of extra fertilizer. So once a year, maybe. Would you recommend a chelated? Yeah, for the iron component, I would recommend a chelated iron. Um, our soils here in Colorado, for the most part, are alkaline. They're a higher pH. And so you have to get the right kind of iron, which is the chelated iron, so that um, it's not going to get caught up in that soil with the other iron that's out there. 
And I, I know that folks sometimes miss that important window of applying it. Yes. Spring is the best time. So in the spring, when your trees first wake up, they start pulling a lot of water and nutrients up into that tree. And so that's really the prime time to put your fertilizer out because the fertilizer, the nutrients will go right along with all of that water into the tree. And then they, they kind of slow down as the season goes along in terms of how much they're pumping up out of the ground. So spring, that's the time. Do you have any favorite fruit trees that you would recommend to folks? We're here in Colorado. I think our best bet is our apple trees. Um, now this is for more of like the front range, Eastern plains and up in the mountains. Apples are gonna be the most reliable. They tend to be the latest blooming. And there's so many varieties on the market. I think there's like, I don't know, thousands of varieties of apple trees. And a lot of them have been bred to bloom later and then also for that fruit to mature in a shorter window of time. So they have a shorter maturity rate and that works in our favor. So we miss those spring frosts and then we have plenty of time for that fruit to fully ripen before we start getting the hard freezes in the fall again. And the more up in the mountains you go, the shorter that window becomes. So you want to look really closely at what varieties you're choosing and choose those that bloom late and ripen quicker. So apples are definitely, in my mind, the most reliable. And we used to have a pretty good apple orchard um, industry here in Colorado, especially along this front range area. It's since, you know, um, grown up so much that we've lost some of that. But there's a place in Thornton, uh, a shopping center called The Orchard. <laughs> that actually used to be an orchard, <laughs> which is why they named it that. And there, I've heard there are still some original historic trees here and there around the outskirts of that development. So apples would be would be really good. Sour cherries are another really good one for Colorado. Um, the sweet cherries will do better on the west slope. And there are there is a there's a couple varieties of sweet cherries that you can look into for here, but the sour cherries are pretty more pretty much more reliable here along the front range, especially where I'm at. And that was another industry that we used to have in Colorado. So as you drive up to Rocky Mountain National Park next time and you pass by that Colorado Cherry Company, that used to be the number two cherry growing industry in the United States. But again, we, you know, things change. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, sour cherries, apples, plums are pretty reliable here. You can grow plums pretty good. Peaches, I think just, you know, that you might get a crop every four years five years because of those frosts. So the West Slope is much better suited for the peaches than we are. So, yeah. Well, thanks for all your information. I think people will get a lot of uh, good use out of this podcast. And so I know we have some things in Plant Talk that people can look up some varieties. So uh, that's a resource that they can go to our Colorado State University Extension website and go into Plant Talk. And Yes, absolutely. Plant Talk is a great source, especially for that beginner information. If you're just getting started, Plant Talk is not going to be too overwhelming. It's going to give you just the basics. If you want to dive a little bit deeper, we do have a couple of fact sheets through Colorado State University Extension, and they're titled Backyard Orchard. 
And there's one for apples and pears and then another one for the stone fruits. Um, like, you know, your peaches, your cherries, your plums, apricots, things like that. So I would look to those two fact sheets as other resources. And then if you aren't finding what you need from Colorado State, I would think about some of those northern states that are really into the apples. Minnesota has, University of Minnesota has some great um, apple and other fruit tree information. And because their climate is similar in that they're north, you can oftentimes pull some information from them as well. So just be careful about not going to, you know, the southern states for your information because they're dealing with a whole different situation than we are here in Colorado. And then check with your local CSU Extension office. They oftentimes can have some good tips for you as well. Good point. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for joining me. And thank, a thank you. you to the, and a thank you to the audience for listening. Tune in next time when we get to the heart of the matter on another horticultural topic.